Welcome back to Lambda Forms Radio. I am your host, Ian Corey. I am the singer and songwriter in the band Lambda Forms, and I use this podcast to talk to other musicians and artists about their process, their background, and their latest work. For today's episode, I spoke to producer Eric Gundel. Gundel just released his newest album titled Level One Mage through Dear Life Records. Inspired in part by his experiences playing Dungeons and Dragons during lockdown, Level One Mage incorporates a range of textures and instruments, as well as vocals by Felicia Douglas of Dirty Projectors and Ava Luna, as well as black metal shrieks from Will Skarstad of Yellow Eyes. I had a great time talking to Gundel about the album, as well as his day job as a music therapist. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Thanks for listening. So I, I will admit that before Frank sent me your record, uh, Level One Mage, I I hadn't heard of you at all or your mm-hmm. music. That's uh, fair. So just just <laughs> to kind of get in on the uh, start from the beginning, I suppose. Uh, how did you start playing music, and where are you from originally? Oh, geez. Um, yeah, I'm from Vermont. Um, I was born in Burlington, so mm-hmm. the cosmopolitan hub of finance and industry that is Burlington. It's very small. It's like, yeah, I don't know the population in Burlington off the top of my head, actually, but the whole state's, I think, around 600,000 or so. So pretty small. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I got into piano um, when I was six or seven or something and sort of took basic piano lessons and then got into the guitar around... 10 or so and mm-hmm. um yeah that became my main focus since then i guess and um yeah then i studied music in in college like jazz stuff as opposed to classical and uh yeah what else i that does so far that i will say that lines <laughs> up with what i would have guessed Oh yeah. From listening to your record, like there were a few licks. I was like, oh, there's there's some jazz training here mm-hmm. somewhere in the background. Yeah. It's funny. I I sometimes wish I didn't study jazz guitar in a way. It's sort of mm-hmm. like, you know, when you are learning about whatever modes or you know, you do a lot of like repetitive scale work and come up with certain little licks that work over what whatever harmonic progression your two five one uh mm-hmm. type of music nerd stuff. And I don't know, I feel like there's a little too much muscle memory sometimes when I play guitar. And yeah, sometimes it's good to just not play for a while. And before you went to college, like why did you decide to to go to college for music specifically? Were there other things? That I were did on the table, not or? do that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, maybe I don't want to study music because I looked. At, I was vaguely considering like a conservatory. I can't uh-huh. possibly conceive of what that would have been like. I don't think I would have liked it or fit in or gotcha. something. But um, okay. so I went to college, Skidmore College in 
Saratoga. And mm. I didn't decide on studying music till the last minute. I was thinking about doing philosophy or English or art or different liberal artsy things. And then I just came back to music. I was like, this is what I love to do. So maybe I'll mm-hmm. learn more. And it, some of it was very, my favorite stuff was probably like orchestration I found was totally something I didn't have any experience with or know anything about. And some of that stuff I still think about and took like a conducting class that was Hmm. very illuminating as to what conductors do. And they don't really just flail around. They're doing, they're doing stuff. (laughs) Before kind of going with the, uh, more studious route, what was your experience with music growing up? Was it just like a private thing or were you playing in bands, writing your own songs? Yeah, I I sort of jumped around different things, but I guess at the heart of it was sort of the jammier type of music in um, Vermont. You have Mm -hmm. the fish contingent of yeah music fans and and musicians that sort of that's sort of I I feel like the main type of music people gravitate towards in Vermont is sort of the the rootsy bluegrass and and fish and Grateful Dead type of stuff and blues here and there and and they have a good jazz festival as well but yeah more like uh yeah, just jammy type of stuff. So I played a lot in like basements and just sort of dick around. <laughs> played played in some high school outfits and but not a whole lot of like gigging or anything like that. I did private stuff as well in my basement, um, recording and and with a four track that kind of thing, which. Mm-hmm. Was uh, the private recording also in the sort of jam idiom or were you working out some uh, other stuff? It was it was a little broader. I remember I was sort of getting into like post rock stuff. The stuff I remember doing mm. was a little more along the lines of like a I mean like a Godspeed you black emperor. <laughs> I remember doing like a couple of tracks. I was like, I'm gonna try to rip off this band. <laughs> and uh-huh. Of course, I didn't do it without the 14 people or whatever it takes. But um, yeah, I, I liked I liked doing that kind of stuff. There were some songs, but I don't, I don't know. I never really took to like songwriting per se. It's like mm-hmm. a thing to do. Sure. That, that also kind of tracks with the record. You know, it's, it's not so much like a songs record as like a, a sounds and, you know, yeah. compositional kind of album. Uh, yeah. At least from what I'm digging into. Well, you can let me know if I. No, I think that's know. right. I think I, 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 whenever I've had to write lyrics, it's just like something I procrastinate and I perseverate and other words or something and um i i really yeah i I think i uh you know i I, when i listen to music i'm more of a a sound person and than a lyrics person i like some lyric spacings a lot but um yeah usually i'm i'm interested in 
the sounds and I listen to a lot of instrumental music and mm-hmm. experimental sound, electronic stuff. Yes. What kind of, uh, like what, what sources were you going to, to like find that kind of music? Did you have like a group of people that were also into that sort of thing or was it just sort of like private exploration? Like how did you develop a taste for that kind of stuff? I mean, I've always been one to like really get into music journalism and like I had like a spin magazine subscription and that was always like exciting when that would come in and mm-hmm. look at what got um good reviews. That wasn't always experimental stuff, um, but that's just to say like I I like to ex- explore what what's out there and whatever piques my interest and um the more it's been sort of a gradual i would say descent into experimental more experimental music but um yeah it it's sort of been you know i was super into like um yeah sort of like the in, indie rock scene it might be funny to note that do you know the band Dismemberment Plan? Yes. Yeah. I'm familiar with them. Not like a huge knowledgeable yeah. fan, but I, they I were like was. they were like my favorite um in like tenth, eleventh, twelfth grade. Um mm-hmm. and I did a remix of one of their songs and they put it out on their re- they did like a remix album where all these fans like myself remix their songs and they put it out which was big of them because it's like uh you know mine was done on uh i mean of course you can make anything with any software but i was using this sonic acid program it was just like the most rudimentary like production sounds that i i didn't know what i was doing at all and the guy the guy liked it and you know, it was like the most exciting <laughs> moment of uh, my high school life, I think. What was my point? I guess that I was more interested in like the the more, I guess, rocky, although they're sort of a weird band. But yeah, Modest Mouse, yeah. Built This Bill, This Memorant Plan type of stuff. And then as I've gotten older, it, it, it's just gradually I've I'm less oriented towards songs and and rock songs and more meandery drone type of stuff i love and mm-hmm. but it's been it's been slow and that sure. you know i've discovered stuff however many ways you can just friends and reviews and some shows so, yeah anyway so even uh before you were studying music in school you were messing around with like a dawes and stuff like that on your own it sounds like yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think. That might have been the first one um that I had access to. It's Sonic Foundry Acid, I think. Mm-hmm. And you can do cool stuff with that. If I'm not wrong, like Caribou used that program for okay. some of his stuff. Someone sort of prominent was like, yeah, I did all. And, you know, there's all sorts of stories like that where people make amazing things on programs. But for me, that was like, the first one, very basic loop type stuff. And um, I can't remember the next one, but 
yeah, I've I've been interested in in electronic, yeah, production DAWs and stuff. So you use Ableton now? It sounds like I right? do. Yes. Yeah. When did you start messing around with that? Um, uh, let's see. I probably like ten years at this point. Mm-hmm. Strange to think about that, but yeah, it's been it's been a while, and um, yeah, I I love it. I think it's great, and they've sort of updated it, and they have not to get in the weeds with this, but like the the overdub feet and not the um the takes takes thing where you can record multiple tracks and it will there was just one thing that it wasn't doing that you had Mm -hmm. to use logic or pro tools to do instead and they added it and now you really i personally don't need to use anything else now it's just the one thing i need to use which is great right keeps it simple for sure exactly and I imagine from my experience, Ableton is like much faster to bring out into like a live performance setting as well. Whereas like trying to play live with logic is, you know, your yeah. headache. I'm sure. Although I've never used, I've never used like a DAW live. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would ever do that. Maybe. When did That's you, interesting uh, yeah, I, well, I, 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 one of my bandmates, he's got like a the Ableton like push setup, and so oh it's right, like cool. doing more of like kind of like live manipulation of of previously loaded in samples mm-hmm. and, and that kind of thing. I think it's cool when people do it. I I think I yeah would probably struggle with the uh, just getting hung up on on things. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, before we started recording, you mentioned that your, your day job is, is music therapy. Uh, when did you get interested in that and, uh, how, how did you end up kind of doing that as your, as your gig? Yeah. Um, I, I moved to New York after college and I was playing in different bands and trying to figure out, I was working at cafes mostly as a barista. Yeah, then I was just like, what, what else can I do with music? I don't think I, I have the wherewithal to scrap together like a, a touring life or whatever else. I, I don't know why I, I I decided to figure out a different route. And then I was mm. looking into music therapy as an idea, I think maybe someone had mentioned it or I knew someone who who studied it someone who I used to work with at a cafe actually and so I did a volunteer situation at a hospital where you just sort of play music in people's rooms it's very like passive receptive type mm. of stuff where you're not really even talking to them or like working on establishing a relationship it, just sort of like they call it like environmental music therapy i guess which just means like Mm -hmm. nice background music to make people feel a little better sure um and then i i got more interested in it because i enjoyed doing that and um applied to some programs and luckily uh got in and it's cool i i'm very lucky and pleased that i i found it and i'm able to to do it. It's sort of a, a niche thing for sure. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I hadn't I had never heard of it as like a concept until I started looking at music schools and like what I would have potentially major in music schools. Um, and it just sort of like blew my mind that it's like out there as this kind of like professional field. Like it's something that I, I think that people because like the people say all the time as like a sort of cliche, like music is my therapy or something like that. That's right. And to, to have like an actual more, uh you know, sturdy practice of it is uh you know it's it's kind of good to know that there is a more serious application of something that could just be like a cliche that musicians rifle off in in interviews you know um yeah it counts i guess like the question that i would have is like from your perspective what do you feel that like music therapy is capable of or what are its strengths compared to say a more conventional therapy situation like why would someone want to do music therapy rather than therapy therapy hmm yeah i mean that's a good way to phrase the question i think because it it can overlap quite a lot i mean i i doing sort of a variety of things right now i mentioned i i am doing some home visits with elderly clients who you know for safety reasons don't really go out and about very much right now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'll visit them and and play music or talk with them. But I do a number of sessions with just sort of neurotypical adults who are going through employment things or relationship things. And a lot of that has become much like a talk therapy session people are talking a fair amount mm-hmm. about what they're going through and they have come to me because they have some interest in music or what music therapy is or they have histories of finding meaning in music so that sort of comes in as like a secondary thing where after talking for a certain time you can say like okay well maybe we can transition into music and find if there's a song you've been hearing lately that sort of captures this feeling you're having, or Mm -hmm. we can improvise music together to see if we can get at this issue from a different angle. And it's, it's pretty cool because sometimes people can maybe downplay the, potential of music to like connect to what they are dealing with in their life in terms of yeah whatever their their issues are their relationships but pretty it's pretty direct sometimes like oh Mm -hmm. when we started playing music like you were waiting for me to initiate the music and you were playing very quietly and you know, and it'll say, "Yeah, you're right." Like I, 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 I feel like I, I don't have the confidence I used to have, or you know, whatever it is. Just sure, um, it can connect really directly in cool ways. Um, and it's maybe a way of like framing those kinds of internal feelings in an external place that is more readily like apparent to someone that may not have been able to recognize their behaviors in a, in yeah, a musical exactly context. right. Yeah, exactly. How much does like how how first how long have you been uh 
been doing that as your occupation? Let's see, like five or six years. Okay. Because uh, I'm curious about how much like the uh, increasing access of like electronic music instruments, you know, everyone's got like an iPhone that they can get like their garage band app or something like that. Or, you know, I just feel like there's kind of been this explosion of digital audio workstations being kind of more like readily accessible to the average person. Um, so has like that kind of expansion or like semi democratization of like electronic music instruments made its way into music therapy or is it still mostly like acoustic instruments first and foremost? Um, it, it does seem to still be mostly acoustic instruments. Mm-hmm. I have done some work with like DAWs with people and it works best when it is, yeah, when you can collaborate in sort of a straightforward way. I think like GarageBand is is probably best as like a sort of straightforward platform to get sounds out there really quickly. I mm-hmm. have worked with people where it's like, okay, let's listen to some of the loops and, and see what what your ear catches on to and, and they can make a a sort entire song very quickly building on these pre-made sort of blocks and um, oriented towards whatever feeling they're trying to capture. And then you can sort of go from there. People can write lyrics and sing on it or Mm -hmm. that type of thing. When, yeah, it can, when it gets too open-ended or technically complicated, like, like if Logic or Ableton or any one of these other ones where there's, sure. Um, maybe infinite capabilities it's probably tougher but yeah i think it could it could be a cool thing for it to expand into um and generally you know i started this podcast like more seriously pretty much like when the pandemic hit and so i ended up asking a lot of the guests that i've had on like specifically how you know i've had like music teachers and i've had like professors and all like a bunch of different parts of the music industry asking them how like the pandemic affected their corner of the music world. Um, so how did the pandemic and lockdown affect your music therapy practice? Well, yeah, it, it, it's, it was like a new chapter. That's for sure. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I started my private work during the pandemic. I had actually just quit a job for several reasons, uh, right before the, um, pandemic hit like February of 2020. Mm-hmm. And then I was starting to look for a job. And then of course, everything sort of closed down. And so I, I started the private work during the pandemic and started just doing Zoom, Zoom sessions with people, which was a new thing for, mm-hmm. for me. And yeah, that t- took some getting used to, and it it sort of led to more more talk therapy sort of situations, which I guess I didn't train in per se, but I feel like I, you know, it's adjacent. I feel comfortable doing it, to some, you mm-hmm. know, for the most part. And um, so, yeah, it was definitely a learning learning experience. But uh, it worked out. 
sort of. Well, we're on the other, yeah. foot on the other <laughs> side of it now. So. Yeah. And so more maybe sort of to begin transitioning to your album and your, your solo work, what, if anything, has the, the process of being a music therapist, what have you been able to apply, if anything, to like how you make your own music? Like, has it affected it at all or does it feel like a distinctly different part of your life? Hmm. Yeah, I think it's maybe not it it might be a, a lot of more subconscious gradual changes in my personality through through doing music therapy. Um mm-hmm. I think it is somewhat compartmentalized of like this is my time to do whatever I want and I'm going to just explore sounds and have have fun but i think it it did expand my my ideas of of music and sound and sort of getting more comfortable with it i think that was a big part of going through the the music therapy program is i think as the main sort of muscle i had to work on there was to not worry about something being good or not. Sure. I think like putting my sort of music nerd taste away, like uh, whatever that album's better than that album because for the you know like hierarchies of music of of what is good or not. Um, right, that's what music journalism spin magazine exactly right like it, yeah. yeah. Um, so just to say like, I just need to start making music in this moment to, to play with somebody. I can't worry about if it's going to sound great or not. I just have to do it. And so that was the, probably the number one thing I went through and had Mm -hmm. to work on. And so I think that has probably fundamentally changed how I make music and hear music. And um, yeah, I think that's the main thing. So when did you start writing the tunes that would end up on uh, level one mage? It's hard to say. I think it was during the pandemic. I couldn't even really say, I think Mm -hmm. because I, did one of the tracks and sort of put it out on Bandcamp, and I could try to remember when that was, but it could be 2019 or 2020, sort of foggy. But for the most part, it was it was a outlet during the pandemic to just have a different world to go to in a way. Um, Certainly, that yeah. definitely matches the uh, the fantasy you know, role-playing theme in, in the title, uh, in the press release that, that Frank, Frank Meadows of, of Dear Life Records sent over to me, uh, it mentions that you got into playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. Uh, how, how'd that end up happening? Well, that's sort of like a lifelong dream of mine. I have two, I have three half siblings, two half brothers, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're full brothers, half full sister. But um, they're much older than me from my dad's first marriage. So they um, 
grew up in the you know late seventies eighties during like the, the peak, peak ascension game. of yeah. of role playing basement time and um they would have all these stories about about whatever would happen in their campaigns and stuff and I don't know I mean they're they're so funny and fun to be around that I was I would always just think like man I wish I could have been there to play mm-hmm. with them and just have have fun with them and um yeah so during the pandemic my brother one of my brothers got into it again with some of his friends from high school through Zoom and these mm-hmm. there's web platforms for it now that make it really easy and very very cool and he's the the dm dungeon master so he was like oh maybe i'll get a second game with some some different folks and eric if you want to do it like we could we could try it out and i was like hell yeah let's let's go for it (laughs) um so yeah we started that like i don't remember when the the first session was but it feels like a, a year ago and yeah it's it's super fun once you get the mechanics down and stuff i feel like the hardest part because i actually had a similar thing i'd played dungeons dragons like a bit here and there mm-hmm. uh, before the pandemic but as like a you know it's suddenly it's like well there's no shows to go to there's nothing to do every night what are yeah how am i gonna spend my time so there became like a weekly dungeons and dragons uh campaign that a, a few friends of mine put together and the hardest part for me is just getting over that like initial character creation. Like, yeah. Kind of front load all of the, the paperwork. It's overwhelming at first for sure. <laughs> yeah. And I think if without the sort of digital platforms, I don't know. It would, I feel like it would have been much harder because, mm. you know, with like the, the websites you use, you can just like hover your mouse over something and it'll explain like, Oh, this stat means such and such. And it, the information is a little more accessible. I don't know about the, how they did it analog back in the day. I would, yeah, been oh, much harder. Pencil shaving. Yeah, and pencil. And <laughs> the, the, the dungeon master's guide and stuff. Uh, so what, what did you end up uh, building for yourself? Yeah, it's interesting. It's not, it's not a, well, as you may know, the mage is not actually a, a D&D class. They have sorcerers mm-hmm. and wizards. But I I was interested in the druid class gotcha. and okay. their um, shape shifting abilities, which is is very cool, very fun because you can turn into um, a number of animals, and some are like the big beasts who can claw and bite and stuff, like a bear or a wolf. But you can also be like a little spider and crawl on the ceiling into like the lair and scope out the situation before you jump in there. Um, and that's been fun to, to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be a cat, that sort of thing. That's um, interesting. Cause I feel like that's almost like role-playing within role-playing, you know? Yeah. Where like you're creating a character that allows you the possibility to be like a number of different characters so you really opened up like the whole experience for yourself all kind of all at once yeah it's true i don't know if you can speak 
as the animal, like you, I don't know if you could turn into a wolf and then like walk around and talk to people, mm-hmm. <laughs> but that would be very cool. <laughs> you could be like, depends a, on your DM, I guess. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't um, know if you'd allow that, but that'd be cool. What, what's your, what do you, uh, cause I feel like there's different types of people that get into this kind of stuff for different reasons. And this will all loop around to music again, but okay. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just enjoying <laughs> oh, <that's cool. laughs> the conversation. I'm talking about that stuff. Are you into it for like the, the mechanics or for like the flavor, like the, the, um, the, like the kind of like fantasy, like world element, or are you into it for like the, the active role playing or some combination of the, uh, of the three? Yeah, I think it's a combination. I think, Mm -hmm. I think maybe the downside of the digital, uh, zoom D and D is that the role playing aspect of it, of like maybe acting and doing voices or, and this sort of ties back into the therapy as well. Like when you're in person, Mm -hmm. there's, there's that direct sort of shared atmosphere. And I, I just feel like it's easier to role play if you're all around a table or something than if you're sitting at a computer and you're going to be like, Oh, I'm the old druid. And it just feels a little weird if you're by by yourself in your room doing it. So I feel like that's maybe the, the, the lesser um, of the trio there for me, but I, I really love the, yeah, the, the mechanics are fun. It's fun to do like a, a check when you're like, okay, you're investigating the room. And he's like, oh, I have a plus five on investigation. And then you roll and you are the one to discover the secret or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's fun. And yeah, I've, I've always enjoyed like the fantasy world in general, the Tolkien and the what have yous. Sure. I think it's fun. Yeah, it's when uh, when Frank sent me because he initially he sent me the uh, Red Cradle of the Night because he knows I'm a big metal guy. Oh, are you? Oh, that, cool. Yeah, that track uh, for the listeners uh, who are listening now um, has uh, Will from the band Yellow Eyes doing some vocals on it, uh, and so he knew that that would kind of be up my alley. And I was playing Dark Souls at the time, so I just like uh-huh. threw that on in the background, and immediately it's like, oh, this is perfect. Like this is like great moody oh i can see that atmospheric um you know and so i all this is to say like it does seem like you are constructing as much like pieces of music that are distinctly music unto themselves but the way that you described it was like creating a world to kind of go into so how how much were you thinking about sort of like evoking the worlds of say like fantasy novels or or video games or all that kind of stuff like what what were you drawing on non-musically uh for Mm. that sort of aesthetic i think that's tough i mean i i don't think i was actively thinking of of fantasy Uh worlds when i was making the music i think that the the album name has as much to do with sort of like a acknowledging sort of powerless but with a twinge of hope i think mm-hmm. i sort of like that that concept of of being a level 1 character who can't do anything at all really you would probably get eaten by a mouse or rat or whatever 
which our characters almost did. Um, <laughs> so talking from experience, but um, but with the the title of mage, that you will grow into what your powers will will become. Sort of like a mm. optimistic sort of thing. So I think that was the the idea around the title and less that the tracks themselves are evoking the, the fantasy world. Um, sure. But I, yeah, it, it's funny. I don't always have things in mind that are non-musical. Sometimes it is just the, the sound and maybe there's like a, quality to the sound that reminds me of a water or scratching Mm -hmm. or whatever it is. Um, And it'll conjure some, some images or colors. Even sometimes I, I think of music just in colors. Um, I'm not like a pure synesthetic person, but I think everyone has like associations. Yeah. I think there's some, some element Um. of that. What I like about what you mentioned about the sort of optimistic idea of like starting from being uh, from a point of weakness is specifically with mages. And I feel like magic users and a lot of role playing games and like video games and stuff like that, their their stats tend to be like on an exponential curve compared to like a warrior or like a barbarian or something where like they start at a stronger spot, but kind of like they improve they like can only do so much damage with physical attacks. Yes. But with magic users, it gets like outrageously powerful by mm-hmm. the end of it. So it's almost like it's even more optimistic and like, yes, you feel weak now uh-huh. because of the path that you've chosen. You know, there is a, like a, a very serious light at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, so I, I I must ask how do you how did you get in touch with Will and why black metal vocals on a uh, progressive <laughs> electronic record? <laughs> yeah, I mean I I uh, I went to college with um, Will's brother Sam, mm-hmm. who is the other guitar player and lyricist for Yellow Eyes. He writes their their words, to my knowledge, um, and. Yeah, he's one of my best friends from college. He's just like a wonderful guy. I love Sam. And um, he, yeah, and him being in in Yellow Eyes, I got to to meet Will, um, who is another wonderful guy. They're they're super sweet. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I had all the music put together, and it was sort of a... A fantasy of mine because the 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 part that he he sings over is is sort of a faux black metal uh fast guitar sound yeah exactly yeah. i was trying to to evoke that in a way it's definitely not the the real thing but um so i i don't know i just emailed him um and i was like hey do you have any interest in contributing vocals for this uh can be anything you and um so he was kind enough to give me 
um, some tracks that he had already recorded for his project Ustalost. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Okay, not not familiar with that one, but it's really really cool. Um, it's it's a bit different from Yellow Eyes. It it, mm-hmm. it draws from there's like some weird synthesizer sounds and choral samples and still the riffs, but it's awesome. It, it's it's really great. And okay, um, cool. so some of those vocals are are on it. But yeah, I think just him being on it, it it's one of my favorite things I've I've made. Um, I I'm super excited about how how he he contributes to it Mm -hmm. yeah i've been thinking just sort of about like how black metal seems to have weirdly enough become like one of the more malleable subgenres and that Mm -hmm. it's been showing up like in far stranger places than i think people would have predicted in the 1990s yeah the fact that like you know phil elvram or you know fire tools all that kind of stuff yeah (laughs) Like the first thing that I thought of is like listening when your particular black metal part came up. It's like, oh, this is like the next logical step from like the Alcest and Death Heaven <laughs> and all that kind of like huh. shoegazy black metal stuff. Like, oh, this is this is where we go next. <laughs> wow, that's very flattering. Cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I I I love when those things sort of overlap. I was just listening to the the Hacks and Cloak the body mm. album yeah, and that's yeah. like i love that just overlapping of like brutal metal with like weird electronic textures that's like just um yeah one like anything goes i i love that mm. you know like gatekeeping sort of stuff it's also cool because thinking of it as like a your album as like a venn diagram where <laughs> on one hand you've got collaboration with yellow eyes and then <laughs> On the other end, if someone were to click the other side of the link, they would end up at like dirty projectors. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, uh, and so obviously you and Felicia Douglas have another project together. Um, is it Gemma or Gemma? Uh, we say Gemma. Yeah. Gemma. Okay. Uh, so how did the two of you first link up and start making music together? Um, I met her in the... I was playing in a band called Motel Motel, mm-hmm. which... I like to think of us as like a progressive alt country band. We, I don't know. I think we made some interesting music. I I like it. And we were playing a few shows. I mean, we played a lot of shows around New York um, and some of them were with Ava Luna. Mm -hmm. And um, I actually remember our bass player, Timo, and guitarist, um, he was doing sound at goodbye blue Monday. I don't know if you ever mm-hmm. heard of that place. Yep. I it was like one. a, they, they booked whoever wanted to play there and, um, didn't say no to anybody, which made for some really cool, like, uh, chaotic evenings. <laughs> um, and of course, like some days he was like, yeah, we had like a, whatever, an accordion player. And then like a, whatever the crazy thing was. And sometimes it would be a bummer to do sound for, I'm sure. But he was like, oh my God, you would not believe this band that came in last night. They're called Ava Luna. They're like Mm -hmm. mind melting. They're incredible. And yeah, of course they were and are. And um, we were lucky enough to play some shows around town with them. And 
yeah, I was got along with Felicia and of course loved her for her voice. And um uh we sort of disagree on who emailed the other person first. I'm pretty sure I emailed her first to ask her to sort of similar. She's like, hey, anything you have to contribute to this song would be cool. And yeah, so it just sort of went from there. We started with a couple tracks and then sooner or later we had a whole album and got a band together to play live and yeah, but story continued from there. We're um we most of the way through a, a third album writing process. We're mm. almost done all the demos for that. And yeah, she's she's incredible. She's awesome. And so I imagine it was a, a pretty obvious choice to have her on this record. Was that something that you had in mind? I mean the- not super of course, if I think of like who do I know who sings, who could, yeah, she's the first person I think of. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, the sound of the stuff I was doing, I I didn't know what would work. Um, I sort of wanted to, and I think on, I always try to have like some element of a voice or breath or something just to add that element to the the music. Um, mm-hmm. And so I emailed her the the track that she sings on. I was like, hey, do you want to just do some whatever oohs and ahs in, in the background even? Or, you know, she's very busy nowadays. She's She does all sorts of, of uh, collaborations and mm-hmm. recordings and stuff. Um, so I didn't, you know, didn't want to bother her too much. Um, but she was like, yeah, cool, I'll, I'll try something. And then, yeah, she just knocked it out of the park and like sang an entire song on it, which was mind mind blowing. I'm picking up vaguely that that's not necessarily the, the process when the two of you work together. It sounds like, right. Yeah. yeah. It's a more like, here's a sort of semi structured song idea. Like see what you come up with. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it's more, presuppose that it will be like a, a song, I guess, with the right. Gemma stuff. I was I was listening to the the more more recent Gemma album to, you know, because I being introduced to like this album first, I was like, what's what's gonna be the difference? Like what 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 are the three lines? <laughs> it's like, oh, this is completely different. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But uh I, I did like that like on the opening track of that record, it's like there's some like slide guitar that comes in and kind of like a uh Right a not country way, which is like, I think like a, a, a tough thing to make slide guitar kind of like not immediately or is it like lap steel, I suppose. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, and that sort of stuff is on, on your, on level one mage as well, from what I can tell. So it's, it, there are some sonic connections yeah. between the two, despite the, the formal elements of it being quite different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. I think there's like a fuzz guitar track on that that first song as well, which uh-huh. I yeah I love throwing that stuff together. Just like yeah, pedal steel or fuzz guitar, or see if see if it works. So does you know you mentioned earlier in our conversation that like you are not so much like a songs person. How do you apply? the skills and like your the tastes that you've built doing these more 
textural and uh, instrumental pieces, how do you then like shape that into a more song-like form when working in Gemma or in any other kind of like song-like project? I think that's a fun part of it. I think to have, I mean, I, I, when I do like tracks for Gemma, I usually work from samples to start with. Mm-hmm. So that sort of determines a bit of, of the sound of it. But I think it's fun to, I sort of think of it as like, I try new things and I learn some new stuff or production tricks or whatever. And then like try to, yeah, add it to like the the edges of the the Gemma stuff if possible. Yeah, I always learn so much making any album and I'm sure it'll cross pollinate and yeah it always always does i think what have you learned from making level one mage that can be either something specific (laughs) and technical and nerdy or something uh poetic and grand whatever take that however you want to go yeah i uh, hmm what did i learn that things will work out if you just stick with it and give it time and hmm. i think every one of this at least the longer tracks would run into like a wall at some point and i would try something and go sometimes fairly far down a direction and then delete it. (laughs) There's a lot of trying and deleting and, um, yeah, just the perseverance and keep going, try to have fun doing it, but it is frustrating and, (laughs) and it can feel like it'll never get there. But, um, yeah, it gets just self-trust. Like if, if something sounds like it's a good idea, it probably is a good idea and and just Mm -hmm. try to follow it to its conclusion and and see it through is do you what where do you tend to run into those kind of like moments of of friction or frustration with a song like is there a common theme of like you know i've reached like a certain point in time and then suddenly you don't know where to take it or because like i'm when i write songs it's bridges forever i'm just terrible at uh. bridges. so i'll just get to the bridge <laughs> and be like uh. <laughs> i think yeah. that's probably a result of listening to too much heavy metal where it's like they're you know, solos and shit like that will kind of take care of it for you there you go yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's a good good out hmm where are the br- i can't help but like it is very sort of weird experimental sounds mm-hmm. but I can't help but structure things usually like this has to feel like it's flowing well and it it's not too different from the the first part but it's a change in mood and then something needs to happen here that will will disrupt whatever is happening and sort of bring it into the next the next feeling and and it's sort of an intuitive process of just like this feels boring now. Something needs to change, and when I try something, it it either solves the problem or it it doesn't. And mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it, it it's not it's more on the macro level than the the micro level. I think I can usually yeah, just play around with the it you know, the editing this was an edit heavy album and I I sort of mm. enjoy that part of it of like, oh, this thing needs a little bit more of an effect or like chopping up different recordings a lot and and that's fun. It's more of the structural stuff. Gotcha. Where do your your compositions start typically? Like, do you start with like a piano or a guitar, or like what's the sort of like seed of the idea? Where does that usually come from? This stuff all came from, yeah, just sound experiments, I guess. In like, mm-hmm. I've gotten into the sort of digital modular world. Um, there's a number of things that can do that, but like the free one VCV rack, okay. which is like the Euro rack system, um, which I guess for those who don't know, it's like um, modular, meaning all these little tiny building blocks of like parts of a synthesizer. Like you would just have one block that's responsible for the volume and then one little block that's responsible for the pitch of a note. And then these modules that can talk to each other and modulate each other in like infinitely complex ways. Um, Mm -hmm. It helps to see it visually, I think. Um, But right. If, if our listeners perhaps could, instead of pick picturing a keyboard, imagine a, like the back end of a, a giant computer. Yes. It like it looks insane. Circuit board, yeah. And they're with they're talking, yeah. They're talking to each other with different colored wires that just look like a huge rat's nest. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, you can do it on a computer, and and it's super fun. You can just route sounds to different other sounds and effects, and record them and process them again, and. So that was something I was just having fun doing. And then um, if a experiment has like a certain, if it's cool enough, I guess, to put it simply, like, like oh, this sounds cool. Like maybe yeah, I'll like, yeah. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll build on this and um, yeah, try to make something out of it. And then yeah, maybe record some, some real instruments on top of it to, to add that aspect I, of it. I, had you messed around with like modular synthesis uh, in real life, quote unquote, before the digital stuff? Mm. I'm trying to think if I ever played with a real life modular synthesizer. Not really, no. Mm-hmm. I don't think I That's have. That's kind of a cool parallel that you've got like your first role playing doing like the, the digital <laughs> yeah, it's all, know, mechanics it's all of digital that. right yeah that, yeah, yeah that's, that's true <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they're I, they're so expensive i mean one little module can cost like at least a hundred dollars to a thousand dollars so mm-hmm. you know a mod a full modular synthesizer setup will cost the same as a, a car basically um right so I'll stick with the the free the free program for now, but yeah, it's it's cool. Do you try to like incorporate new instruments or new like technologies or some sort of like new way to approach 
each given record or do you kind of like settle with like the things that you're comfortable with and know how to use and just kind of like dive deep into those things? Yeah. I wish I could do that more. I feel like I have Mm. sort of a restless um, need to, I think I like solving problems. I Uh tend to like that in whatever games or like, I like the puzzle aspect of things. So if things aren't like, have no aspect of being puzzling in some way. I, I think I try to generate some sort of puzzle to solve. Um, <laughs> sure. So yeah, I I tend to like to try new things. I I messed around with the flute <laughs> over the pandemic, mm-hmm. and um, there's a bit of that. That in was this fun. Record. Yeah. yeah, I've always loved the flute. Whenever I hear it in, yeah, whatever song it is, when the flute comes in, I'm always like, oh that. That sounds good. Um, so I got some rudimentary flute going, and yeah, that 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 type of thing is is fun to do. So I know that, of course, like this record at, at the time of this recording is not yet out. So I don't want to, mm-hmm. you know, keep pushing too far in the future. But uh, in light of you know that process of like learning new instruments and learning new things, is there anything that you? would want like new puzzles to solve that you see on the horizon for yourself, things that you'd like to do perhaps for your next creative venture. Yeah. I I think it connects to the feeling like things are maybe too digital. I would like to do more in-person collaborations with people and record Mm -hmm. people playing I'm I'm I love the idea of just recording someone improvising on an instrument and then listening to it and and manipulating it. Some of I love that uh, Tim Hecker. If you ever listen to him, um, absolutely love that guy. Yeah, yeah. I love I I went and saw him do the I'm gonna say Gagaku Ensemble from uh-huh. what Yeah, he he had them on stage and he was sort of like manipulating their their instruments. I lo- I love that that idea. So more more stuff like that, I think or ju- yeah, just recording in a big room. I would love to record in like a huge huge room or like a church or something and get sure. as much of like a a room sound as possible. I think as Very sort much of like a counter the opposite of yeah, a <laughs> yeah, ca- the kind of a counter recording. <laughs> reaction to yeah, being in a small room. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, that's what comes to mind. Do you think that you'll ever play any of this stuff live or do you view it purely as like a recorded thing? I think it's just recording. I have a show a week from today. That's my album release show at mm-hmm. the Footlight Windjammer. And um, yeah, I'm not playing any of the music from the album. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, yeah, this is, I don't want it to like just be up there triggering whatever clips or it just Mm. it doesn't really appeal to me to try to recreate it so i i i am going to use i'm trying a new new sort of setup of electric guitar and sampler and um so it'll be new to me but yeah not not the album Mm -hmm. cool yeah well (laughs) another another new puzzle for you to solve exactly live and in person or yeah or avoid (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I will hope to get this podcast edited 
and out in time for maybe some of our New York listeners to uh, to check that show out. And, oh uh, yeah, you know I'll I'll try and swing by myself if it makes sense for my schedule. But yeah, let me thank know. Thank you so much for taking time out of yours to come and talk to me about your tunes, man. Of course, so likewise, a honor and a pleasure to to speak with you. Appreciate it. <laughs>